They shift him from right to left. Play action to that side. Rolling right looking. Fires in the end zone. Got a man. Oh, touchdown. That's a tight end from 15 yards out. Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories Podcast, Season 3, Episode 8. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season. And today we are joined by the Commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, Jim Phillips, and former Notre Dame defensive tackle, Chris Zorich. If you missed any of our previous episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media at Bowl Season. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest has over three decades of experience working in Division I college athletics, serving as the lead fundraiser at Tennessee and Notre Dame, for becoming the director of athletics at both Northern Illinois University and Northwestern University. He is currently the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Please welcome to the show, Jim Phillips. Jim, thanks for joining us. Nick, glad to be here. Great to see you. Jim, you've been the commissioner of the ACC for over two and a half years now. I don't know if that seems like a long time or, or a little little bit of time. I know it's probably been a lot more eventful and unpredictable than you would have liked. But instead of talking about all the challenges, I want to ask you, you have such a great job. You do such a great job. What is it about your job that you enjoy the most? Boy, there's so many things, Nick. I, what I would say is it it always comes back to the student athletes and seeing the experiences that they're having, trying to provide them with, with uh, the resources, you know, to be successful through their campuses. Anytime, I guess uh, what I would say to that question, anytime I have a chance to watch them play and perform to me is the best part of this job. And that certainly includes bowl season. That matters a lot to all 14 of our football playing uh, ACC members uh, it, but it's a privilege. It, it really is. It's a privilege to serve 10,000 student athletes in the ACC, 15 amazing schools uh, that I think really do try um, to exemplify what's right and good about college sports, uh, great academics, uh, the ability to get these amazing degrees from these world-class universities, and then also play sports at a high level and certainly in the sport of football. Well, you mentioned bowl games a little bit. Next season, the CFP will be expanding from four teams to 12 teams. Everyone is excited and looking forward to that. But there are 36 other bowl games during bowl season that won't factor into the national championship equation, but are still really important. Tell us why those games are so important to the universities and student athletes. Well, there's nothing like bowl season, Nick. There just is. And you've done a great job in your leadership in putting that together. Um, and, you know, there's nothing I think that unites college fans and certainly college football fans more than bowl season does. Um, and the, and the expansion of the playoff is much needed and deserves to be done. When you, when you talk to student athletes, they want access to championships in all sports. And, you know, the, the four team system uh, has been great, but, but I think the modernization calls for more access to more teams. And as you d described, you know, beginning next year, going to 12, but those other 36 bowl games matter because not uh, all, um, you know, we're going to have a lot of good, great teams every year and next year will be no different. And those young student athletes deserve an opportunity to go play in a wonderful bowl experience somewhere in the country. 
Um, and I know firsthand being on a college campus uh, for the years that I did, how much that that meant. And um, it really unifies a campus. It allows a campus to go to a new community. Um, this, you know, the stimulation economically for each of the areas that host bowl games, the ability to do community service in those areas. And then for all of us that are competitors, it's a chance to end the season with a group of seniors, no matter what team it is during bowl season with a championship. And there's something meaningful to that. And I think both of us know enough former student athletes in the sport of football that all come back and they just say, Hey, you remember when we went to this particular ball game or that particular ball game. Um, and I, again, I just, I, I just think it's a, um, an area in college sports that we have to continue to pay attention to. We have to nurture, we have to support, and certainly there'll be some, maybe some new variations to it, but bowl season is just that it's not just about a playoff. It's about all the opportunities across college football and the communities across our country that love and support the game and providing these wonderful bowl experiences. Well, throughout your career as a college administrator, you've certainly had the opportunity to be involved in a lot of bowl games. Um, as you mentioned, it's such a great experience for the student athlete. The fan turns the TV on, watches the game. But, you know, these, these guys are in town for four or five days experiencing a community, uh, experiencing things that they may not have experienced otherwise and may never have a, a chance to again. You know, thinking back at all the bowl games you've been a part of, what are some of your favorite memories from those experiences? I, I would just I tell you, there's just so many. You know, I think about my time at Arizona State and when Arizona State went to the Rose Bowl with, um, you know, Jake Plummer and, and uh, that group. And then, you know, at Tennessee, won a national championship in 1998. Notre Dame and all the experiences there. Um, being a first-time athletic director at Northern Illinois when we went to the Silicon Valley Bowl, which was amazing and beat a really good Troy team. Um, and then at Northwestern, where there was just incredible success and uh, an early you know, uh, memory there was we broke a streak where Northwestern hadn't won a bowl game since 1949. Um, and, you know, it had been 60 years or 70 years. And, you know, so those are the things that I think um, have, have meant so much to each of the schools and, and uh, each of the campuses. Uh, I think just this joy of seeing the student athletes coming together and being together, knowing that this is the last week that we're going to be together um, because that as soon as that game's over, everybody kind of goes their different ways and certainly the seniors won't be back. And, and so the next year will be a brand new team. So again, um, not only the experiences I think that, that student athletes are having, but I think we're all fans as well. And, and I mean, you just love sitting back during those four weeks or five weeks, whatever it's been now, or whatever is now of watching bowl games and watching just competition in a, in, you know, such a great sport of football. So like you, you know, they're just filled with so many wonderful memories about bowl season. You know, that point you made right there, Jim, I, I, I wish the, uh, the average fan could feel that and experience that you mentioned Northwestern winning a bowl game, breaking their streak that didn't factor into the national championship, but that didn't make it anything less meaningful or, you know, for those kids, it's important. Right. And, and I think this sport needs more than 12 postseason opportunities for 133 division one programs. No question. And, and I think everybody realizes that I, I, I just do. And that's, 
that's why we're, we're, we'll work together with the CFP and bowl season and, and make sure that um, we come out of it in a really healthy manner. You and I were talking offline about how important it is for your conference and every conference really to, to do well in the, in the non-conference games early on, because it kind of sets the tone for the season. Similarly, how is, important is it for the teams in your conference to perform well in bowl games? Well, it's really important, uh, you know, as we've, we've talked about prior, setting the narrative at the beginning of the season is really important. And when you have a chance to play very good non-conference teams in very good conferences and have some success, that, that, that's, that's really, um, you know, a wonderful way to start the year. I'm pleased having five ranked teams right now, um, again, as we get into a lot of conference play. But finishing the season – is I think what every coach wants to do well and, and every fan of every program in the country, as well as a, any commissioner, you want to see your teams develop through the year that they're not a finished product in those early games. And as you get later in the season, you, you're hopeful that they're playing their very best football at the end of the season. And as I mentioned just a little bit earlier, there's nothing greater than holding a championship trophy at the end of the season. And that's, I think, why the bowl games matter and why is it as exciting as it is you want to win those games at the very end and it builds a lot of momentum when you when you talk to coaches and you talk with student athletes and and you're on campuses you know they're living off of maybe you know how the season ended in a positive way and a, a really big bowl, bowl victory that kind of catapults them forward into the following year so it's important at the end of the year to to, to play well and uh, to have success. Uh, and there's a little bit of bragging rights involved too with the conferences and how successful you are. That's right. Well, you and I have both seen it on campus. You win a bowl game. Everything's a little easier in the off season, right? You have a little extra hop in your step in off season workouts and people are walking around the building in a good mood. Um, it's, it, it's good to win a bowl game. For sure. No question. Well, you've been involved with bowl season in a, in a number of other unique ways over the years. You were a member of the Fiesta Bowl Board of Directors, as well as a member of the Rose Bowl Management Committee. Tell us about your positions with those two bowls and what you learned from them that maybe you couldn't have known otherwise. Well, uh, it really, Nick, relates to the amount of work that goes into putting together a bowl game and the amount of community support and what it means to those communities. Those are really the, the big takeaways. Uh, economic development, as I mentioned earlier, is significant for these areas. Um, the ability to, to help businesses that may be struggling, um, uh, restaurants, hotels, uh, you know, just normal activities that uh, this, this stimulus of individuals coming to a place over a three or four or five day period. But I think what I found out more is just what those bowl officials and the bowls do for those communities in, in the sense of community service work and trying to give back, um, whether it's a homeless shelter or women's shelter, you know, the YM or YWCA's, um, you know, there's just a whole host of of ways where there's a residual from a bowl game that really starts with these bowl associations. And you mentioned the, the you know, the Rose Bowl Management Committee and the Fiesta Bowl. And you learn a lot. And certainly there's a business side of it as well. And 
and sponsorships uh, that you can't do any of these bowl games without and the media piece of it, you know, with, with folks like ESPN who've been just such an incredible partner during bowl season. So um, it's a really complex structure uh, with people that are really committed to those experiences that we've been talking about to make sure that the student athletes and fans have a wonderful experience. So um, I'll continue to try to do anything I can to, to help um, in, during bowl season. And uh, again, uh, the ACC is proud to be a member of FBS football and, and to be the recipient of, of, of many of these kinds of trips and many of these kinds of experiences. I'm going to shift gears here for a couple questions, Jim. We're in the NIL era, whether we like it or, or not. Uh, as a result, you've spoke on the idea of financial literacy for student athletes. From your standpoint, point, what does the ideal version of that look like? And why do you think it's so important for student athletes to be financially literate now more than ever? Well, I think the stakes continue to be really high. And now that student athletes are able to monetize their abilities in their name and their image and and uh, again, um, their God-given talents, that they're able to create some wealth for themselves and maybe for their families, depending on who it is. And, and literacy and financial literacy is critical um, because there are bad actors out there. There are people trying to take advantage of student athletes and the, the ability to, to um, provide them with educational opportunities, knowledge-based about what the things they should be thinking about, what's, what are the things they need to be care, concerned about, careful with, et cetera. And I, I give uh, an awful lot of credit to the NCAA and Charlie Baker, who's made this one of the priorities. And at a recent NCAA council meeting, they're, they're providing more and more support uh, for financial literacy, as well as our campuses. You know, at the end of the day, the campuses remain the direct connection to these student athletes. And so, I'm proud of what I'm seeing across the country and certainly proud of the ACC and what I'm seeing in, in our schools and in that area, Nick. But uh, again, you and I have spoken about this in the past. It's really important in this modernization of college athletics that there is literacy programs for our student athletes. No doubt about it, Jim. Well, you're, you're sitting in your new home right now, the ACC's new home uh, in the Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina. How did the, that move come about? And what were some of the reasons Charlotte was selected as the new home of the ACC? Well, it was a review of the conference office when I took over and, and some conversations with the presidents. And then I, I'll never forget the, I went to our 15 schools in about 21 days and I, it was kind of a listening tour. And one of the things that they, they talked about was it was, it was difficult at times for some of them to get to the conference office. And we've had a wonderful relationship and it will always be the home of the ACC. And that's the city of Greensboro, North Carolina, just a beautiful place, incredibly committed to the ACC. Um, and so we went through an exercise, no predetermined outcomes, um, really a, a very transparent process. And we looked to, um, you know, a consultant to help us create a metrics of the things that would be important for us to consider and where we would want the future home of the ACC be, to, to be. And, and that included the city of Greensboro after a 12-month period, Nick, where we brought our presidents, our ADs, our faculty athletics reps, and our senior women's administrators to the table in different ways. Um, we selected Charlotte. And I would just say um, there's multiple reasons, but, but three or four are 
the the ability to access your membership from from an ACC perspective. We began this amazing conference in on May 8th, 1953, with seven schools in the Mid-Atlantic. Now we're at 15 schools all the way up and down the eastern seaboard and into Indiana with Notre Dame and into the state of Kentucky with Louisville. And as you know, we've just added three uh, more schools, uh, two in the Bay Area, Cal and Stanford, and an SMU down in Dallas-Fort Worth. So having an international airport, being able to access your schools and your schools being able to access the conference office, very important. That's one. Second, the recruitment and retention of talent in a really vibrant, growing city, in a really diverse, populated city. Um, you know, Charlotte has that, and uh, it's been, you know, just an exceptional transition for us. Third, the, the ability to interface with Fortune 100, 200, 500 companies. Um, we, we've, we've gotten off to a wonderful start there as well. Uh, and so just the financial landscape of partnerships in the business community. The media piece of it, uh, to have and be involved in a city like Charlotte that has such a large media presence. I mean, there's a whole host of things. And again, it's it's not anything in a critical way of our past or where we were in Greensboro, because, again, I love living there for the two and a half years that I've been commissioner. It will always be the original home of the ACC. We'll still have some championships there, but we are incredibly excited about it. And this is the right place for us to be as we modernize the office, as we continue to try to brand the office and market the, uh, you know, market the conference and brand it. Um, it's just been a fantastic connection and, and you'll see championships here as well. Uh, and we've had our, our football championship is the first Saturday of every December at bank of America stadium here in Charlotte, the home of the Panthers. And, uh, and so it's been a really seamless transition and we're really excited about the future home here in Charlotte. Jim, you and I have been friends a long time. We, we've worked together on a couple of occasions. It's my job to have a good relationship with you. So you knew these questions weren't going to be too hard. But for the <laughs> final question, I'd like to at least make it a little bit thought-provoking for you. Uh, in this time of great change and unpredictability in college athletics, what do you think or hope the next 12 months has in store for us? I hope we get some stability. It's been an unstable time in the industry. It just has for a variety of reasons, uh, You know, not only expansion, but the legal issues, some of the major transformational work that we did at the NCAA, NIL, the transfer portal per se, um, just lots of things that have been new to the system. And, um, and a few of these things we still have to get ironed out. So I, I hope we can uh, regain some of that stability. And most importantly, I hope we can turn our attention to the student athletes, the teams, the coaches across the country, um, and certainly in the sport of football and, and let's divert some of the other attention that's been going in, in different directions back to where it really belongs. And, and I am excited about the future. I am. And, and college athletics is, is something for all of us to fight for. I know you fight for it from a bowl system standpoint and a bowl season standpoint. Um, I certainly try to do the same and, and fight for it with my colleagues. Uh, there's no greater enterprise when you think about access and affordability of higher education to a group of young men and women in college sports that may not have had access to higher ed and may not have been able to afford it based on their socioeconomic background. We have 500,000 student athletes, less than a percent will play professional sports. I think continuing to understand that this is about student athletes 
and making sure that we're supporting them at every turn is going to continue to be important. So um, I'm excited about the future in the next 12 months and, and uh, certainly want to do my part like you do to help any way we can. Great final words there, Jim. Well, really appreciate your time. I, I, I know you well enough that you're always going 100 miles an hour. Um, I can't thank you enough for how supportive you've always been about the bowl system and the individual bowl games. No one in intercollegiate athletics understands the importance uh, to the student athletes that these bowl games have than you. And uh, also really want to thank you for the job you do in general for college football and, and college athletics. You are a really asset uh, to this industry, and we're very lucky to have you. So thank you for that, Jim. Thanks, Nick. My privilege, my pleasure for sure. Take care. All right. Thanks. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds, lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. Our next guest played defensive tackle for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish from 1987 to 1991. He went on to play seven seasons in the NFL with the Chicago Bears and the Washington Redskins and was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2007, the youngest person ever to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Please welcome to the show, Chris Zorich. Chris, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Nick. I am honored to be part of this awesome show. Thank you. You know, we uh, we just had Commissioner Phillips on uh, and just talking to you, you know, offline here, it just dawned on me, we have two Chicago natives on the same show. That wasn't our intention, but uh, yeah, the, Chicago the, pride Jim going is a on. great guy. Jim is an absolutely great guy and was very instrumental in assisting me with um, getting the Chicago State Athletic Director job. Um, after I got, I kind of talked to him about, you know, salary and, and, and ideas and he was kind enough to schedule a couple basketball games with us. So that was great. Awesome. Not, not surprised. Not surprised he gives back uh, uh, and mentors people like that. Well, let's let's kick this off by talking about your back-to-back -back performances in the 90 and 91 Orange Bowl, <laughs> which ultimately resulted in you being inducted into the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame in 2009. Tell us about those two bowl games and what they meant to your football career. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. The um, The first one we won, um, and the second we wound up losing, but it was interesting because the first one was for the 89 season and we, in, in 88, we won the national championship. And in 89, we lost one game against Miami hurricanes. And after that game, that, that was the last game of our, of our year. And, you know, obviously we were upset, dejected. We had a chance to, to go on to win, you know, possible back-to-back -back national championships and then the only way that we felt we could redeem ourselves is having a great uh, bowl performance. And <clears throat> we were very fortunate to go to the Orange Bowl. And I I'm not sure um, all the excitement around it, um, but it was by far one of the best experiences I've, I had ever had at that point uh, going to the bowl. Even though we won the national championship in the Fiesta Bowl, Having a chance to go to the Orange Bowl was just an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, just the, the idea that um, you get this kid from the south side of Chicago who, before college, had never been on a plane before. And so you can imagine uh, the idea of, of being in this environment where uh, it's, it's pageantry, it's, it's, it's college athletics, and just kind of the idea of, of traveling and being involved 
in a different community. Um, and, and as I learned later, so many things go that are surrounded around a bowl game. You know, as players, we just show up. Um, I had no idea that there were so many events throughout the year that culminate to this bowl game. So again, fortunate in, in um, 90, Orange Bowl had a great game. Um, and then fast forward the following year, uh, we had a chance to go back. And uh, we wound up playing our, our, the same opponent in Colorado. And um, Colorado wound up winning the game by one point. But I had just a monster game. I mean, I think I had like two or three sacks. I mean, I had a bunch of tackles. I mean, it was amazing. And then after the game, uh, my mom was watching back home in Chicago uh, on TV. And I actually mentioned her uh, watching the game back in Chicago. So um, after the game, I had a chance to talk to her. And uh, she was excited that they mentioned her name. And I told her that we lost. And she's like, yeah, but you played so well. You got MVP. And it was, so it was, it was an awesome experience. What, unfortunately, what I didn't know, but that would be the last time I would see my, uh, that I would talk to my mom. Um, unfortunately after the game, I talked to my mom, said, bye, I love you. She said, bye, I love you too. And that was the last time because she had actually, uh, passed away of a heart attack in between the phone call and the time that I got back home, but it was an amazing experience. And the idea that, um, my life is tied to Notre Dame and the orange bowl has just been great. Well, obviously to, to a large extent, you, you can control what, what you do on the field, but. Uh, what you can't control sometimes as much is your team's performance. So you you were fortunate enough to achieve what few can say they have a college football national championship, and you you, know, you only have a few years to to try it, you know, and then you graduate and you move on. What was that season like in 1988, and what are some of the life lessons you've taken with you from that team, as well as from attending the University of Notre Dame in general? Well, I mean, it would all have to uh, really kind of uh, circles around Coach Holtz. And um, I had never heard of Notre Dame before when I was in high school. Um, there's this, there's the story I tell that that people kind of laugh when, when I tell them. But when the coach from Notre Dame came to my high school, in my high school in Chicago is 90 miles from the South Bend campus in Notre Dame. I mean, it's you jump on the Skyway, you're there in 90 minutes, and. He asked me how I would like to attend the University of Notre Dame. I said, sir, I would love to, but my mom doesn't like to fly. And he's kind of looking at me like, well, what do you mean your mom doesn't like to fly? You guys are like, you know, I mean, what's going on here? And I was like, well, there's no way my mom would fly to France to see me play. And he was like, what? I was like, well, yeah, you guys got the hunchback guy in that big church, right? And he was like, ooh, whoa. I'm sure he kind of looked at his transcript, looked at my transcript going, oh, what's this kid's SAT score? It was just kind of an interesting story. But again, I came from an environment where kids didn't go to college. Um, there were a lot of gangs, a lot of violence and stuff like that. So the idea of going to college really wasn't, um, uh, I never saw anyone go. So it was never an issue. Let alone um, Notre Dame, right? As close as it was. It might well, as well I know, like, right. away, <laughs> Worlds away, worlds away, Nick. And, and it was great though, because, this experience really changed my life. Um, having a chance to go there, yes, we had success there, but if you take the, the the football part out of it, I was very fortunate because literally that university changed my life. When you throw football back into it, we just so happened to win a national championship in Lou Holtz's third year there, my sophomore year. 
And that in itself was just an amazing ride. Um, no one really knew we were going to be that successful. Everybody thought it was going to be the next year. And so being a sophomore, having a chance to, 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 be, to be a starter uh, was a, a great experience. My first game, I think I jumped off sides like four times. I was so nervous. Um, I got kicked out of a couple of games that year for being a little bit too aggressive. But surrounding it, it was a mixture of kind of young kids who had this kind of chip on the shoulder, this attitude, and kind of older veterans that had been through a lot in their day. Because when you think about um, the coach before uh, Lou Holtz, it was um, uh, God, what's his name? Um, totally... uh, Jerry Faust. Yeah, yeah, Jerry Faust. Sorry, and um, I mean they weren't that good. And, and talking to the players, there was a lot of uh dissension in the locker room um there were there were a lot of issues uh surrounding the team especially Faust's last couple of years and so you mix those guys who by the way got beat by Miami like 58 to 7 and then you have these younger kids who who literally were recruited by Miami I mean I was going to take a I was supposed to take a trip to Miami but I wound up um canceling it after I committed to Notre Dame but the idea that we kind of saw them as peers, not necessarily kind of adversaries. And so having a chance to play them, we just thought, hey, this is going to be uh, a great game, great competitors. And we wound up winning that game. And, and literally that game was a lot harder than it, than being, being able to um, uh, win uh, against uh, West Virginia and Major Harrison in the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, and, and I only say that because we didn't know what was going on at the time. We didn't realize Miami, I think, was one and we were three or something like that. And the idea that we had a chance to play the number one team in the country was this great honor. And then all of a sudden, that mantle came to us. And then we realized that now we're getting everybody's best game. And so the game right before we played West Virginia in the Fiesta Bowl, we played a number two USC team. So you talk about playing a number one team, playing a number two team, and then at the time playing a great uh, West Virginia team. And, and, and Major Harris, he's in the College Football Hall of Fame as well. He was an, an amazing player. So the that um, journey that year was just an amazing, it was an amazing experience. And then you'll you culminate that with being at the Fiesta Ball. And, and I thought what was so interesting um, when they have these bowl uh experiences let's say right where the teams kind of hang out together uh depending on where you're at you do events and everything and i remember vividly um that year actually um they have a big banquet with with both teams and no, no one fought or anything you know we're in our tie and, and our suits and everything and the the coaches speak so west virginia's coach went first and then coach holtz went second and for the first coach, everybody clapped, you know, their players clapped, we clapped. And then Holtz does his thing, but then he ends with the magic trick where he rips the piece of, which he, he rips the newspaper up. And so he ends with that and boom, he opens it up and we, sh we, we shot up in our seats, start clapping. And then people on West Virginia's teams, they start, they stood up and start clapping. And we were like, well, we already have this game won then. If they're standing up cheering for our coach, then we, well, we definitely won this game.
when you won the national championship that year, could you have ever believed that we would be sitting here 35 years later waiting for the Irish to win their next one? <laughs> Nick, thank you, man. That's, that's, that's could a be a complicated one. answer. I, that, I, is, I that is I, how much time we got here. It, it's it's been frustrating, um, only because we came so close in '89. Uh, again, only losing one game that year. Um, so we expected that this was going to be an ongoing thing. And we weren't even like Colts' best team. When you look at it, like I think that 93 team, where he had like seven guys go in the first round of the NFL draft, like that's crazy that Holtz was able to get that type of talent. And that's the type of success we had. Now, unfortunately, from there, it's been kind of downhill, downhill. downhill. And the market's doing a great job. Coach Freeman's doing a great job now. But the fact that you're talking about 35 years later is kind of embarrassing. For, for a Notre Dame program. Yeah, I, I would I would have been big money that you'd win at least one more in the next one. I'm, I'm thinking like 10 or 12 at least. We only <laughs> we got zero. So that, that's the frustrating part. Are you happy with Coach Freeman in the, in the direction of the program right now? You know, the former players are so excited. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was a, a player as well. Um, he was a, he was a stud actually. He was a four star player. Uh, Ward number one was a great linebacker at Ohio State, and actually he competed I think for a national championship one year, right? And so he understands that level, and understands what former players mean to the program. Now I don't know exactly what they did at Ohio State, but uh, Coach Freeman has been able to create what is called the Legacy Weekend, and it's surrounded around our spring game where he invites a whole bunch of players back. We have dinner with the current players. We have a career session with the current players. It's just a great, great experience. And the first year, people were a little hesitant. We had about 120, 140 guys come in. Last year, we had 300 guys show up. And, you know, Notre Dame's not paying for anything. They're not, you know, they're not giving us free hotel rooms. I mean, this is on our dime. But there's a lot of people that believe in what he's doing. And, you know, there's been a lot of guys who haven't had a chance to come down because of kids and families and everything else. But knowing that Coach Freeman has um, uh, our back as former players is great. And then he also created a uh, an environment where he has a podcast, or excuse me, he does this huge Zoom call with uh, several hundred former players and it kind of gives us an update two times a year, which I think is great. That's awesome. That's I've, I've never heard a coach doing that. That's that's amazing. But we talked about Chicago earlier, right? You grew up there, drafted by the Bears, played all but one year of your career there until until recently. You you continued to 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 live there until you you moved to to be closer to your daughter in college in in Indiana. I guess you didn't want to fly to Indiana to, to <laughs> right. Here. So you had to move there, but. What what is it about the city of Chicago that you love so much and has caused you to live there virtually your entire life? You know, I, I'm just so fortunate uh, as a young man. Just my mom and I, uh, although I, we grew up in a rough neighborhood, I grew up in a rough neighborhood. Um, you know, I was spoiled with love, and you know, my mom never remarried. So it was just me and her for for 21 years, and the idea that um, I grew up poor, wasn't really uh, part of our, um, our, our, our conversations. Uh, it was all about kind of support and love. And that's why, like, I wanted to go to a vocational school, which is what my high school was, 
so I can get a job and get my mom out of the neighborhood. Now, it just so happens that I went to the same high school as Dick Buckus went to, but I didn't know that because I hadn't played, I didn't start playing football until my sophomore year in high school. And it wasn't until my um, going in or after my junior year that the coaches thought I, I might have a chance to kind of get a scholarship. And so I came back and talked to my mom about it. And she's like, wow, that's terrific. You have a chance to go to college. You'll be the first person in our family to ever go to college. This will be a great experience for you. So there are a lot of sacrifices my mom and I had to make going into my senior year. And I realized about how serious this opportunity was. And so growing up in Chicago was this amazing experience. And then going to Notre Dame, my mom had a chance to see all the home games. And then unfortunately, my mom passed away in January. But then a couple months later, I get drafted by the Bears, which is my hometown team. And then all of a sudden, like I'm playing for the team that I grew up watching. Like, who does that? And oh, by the way, I went to college like 90 minutes away. So I had this amazing, amazing experience. And, you know, it's just, I'm so fortunate because if not for football, I'm not sure where I'd be. And so football changed my life. Going to the University of Notre Dame changed my life. But then you put that cherry on top. And, and, and oh, by the way, Mike Ditka, who I grew up watching, like, drafts me in the second round. And I'm a Chicago Bear for seven years. It's just an amazing, amazing experience. So I want to talk some more about your bowl game experiences. We mentioned the national championship in the 89 Fiesta Bowl, as well as the two Orange Bowls after that. Uh, as a freshman, um, you you were on the scout team, but you you went to the, you, the Cotton Bowl in 88. Now, you've played in a lot of big games in your career. In the NFL, you know, we, we talked a lot about those regular season games, the, the, that Miami game you referenced. That was the, they made a documentary about it. That was the Catholics versus Convicts game. And then there was a rematch, you know, at home two, two years later. But tell me, how do the bowl game experiences compare to some of the biggest games that you've played in your life? So, and 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 Chris, talk about the you know, and also, you know, talk about the the experience. You, you as a Chicago kid who doesn't sound like you were traveling the globe very much, right? So, I'm talking about you know the game itself, the bowl game, but also that five six days and and what it, what the experiences that the, those gave you. Sure. So I'm going to talk about that, but I have this bull experience that that I didn't realize the importance of it until 10, 20 years later. So you mentioned before that I didn't play at all my freshman year. And I was on, so at Notre Dame, if we went to a bowl game, all the starters and, and, and important players, they would go on a seven-week trip. And the non-important players like myself, who was on the scout team, we'd go on the three-day trip. So, but all year I was on the scout team and I practiced against our first team center who was an All-American. And we wound up losing the game uh, against Texas A&M. And I came back into the locker room. I was crying because I was upset that we lost. No problem, right? Okay, whatever. 20 years later, one of my buddies come up to me and says, hey, I didn't know you cried after the Texas A&M game in the Cotton Bowl. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, well, I just read Luke Holtz's book. You should check it out. And I'm like, what? Of course, I'm not going to read my head coach's book. That you know, I mean, it's it just, it, it's, I mean, I experienced it every day. So I'm not going to, right, yeah. exactly. So I go back and I read this section and I just start getting tears in my eyes because he talked about how after the game, after this loss, 
in the Cotton Bowl. He comes in the locker room, and I'm the only person crying that we lost. Now, I'm sure other people were upset, but I'm in my locker kind of heaving, and at the and I again had no idea that this happened. But he said at that moment, he realized that he wanted to put, and he called me a fire eater. He wanted to put fire eaters like Chris Zorich out on the field for next year and talk about how that was the impetus of what he wanted to do in the future and that aggressiveness and that, that, that type of desire and that, that will to win had no clue. Had I not gone to the cotton Bowl, that would have not have happened, but it's just this experience that I, I realized 20 years later that happened. And I talked to coach Holtz about it and he would laugh and say, yes, I looked at you, you were crying. I was like, that guy didn't even play. He did not even play the game. He needs to be on the field. I need to find people like him. So that was the Cotton Bowl story. But the, the stories after that, as, as you, the, the bowl games after that, as you mentioned, I never experienced anything like these things. So you come down there, you have a chance to spend a week in, in, in a different city. There's parades, there's events, you're meeting other players. I mean, I think, and, and I know we talked about this a couple of years ago, but the bowl experience for these student athletes is so important because it not only does it reward them for a great season, it gives you an opportunity to kind of experience different things. I mean, there's, there's the Bahamas bowl. There, there's, there's bowl games that are not in the Midwest, unfortunately, because of the weather, but the, 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 the exciting part is that you have a chance to kind of uh, um, think about achieving going to a, a big bowl game or going to a bowl where you know it's going to be a great experience. And like I said, you, you get a, a poor kid from the south side of Chicago to experience the bowl experience, it's amazing. And then you get down there and there's there's gifts for you. And and it, it was funny because you, know, you, you don't have a lot of money in college. And so we would actually use like the sweats that we got like for the bowl games. Like we would wear those like all year round, you know? And so when we, when we wore the net or when we wore the ones from the Fiesta Bowl, We'd always nod at each other because that's the game that we won with the national championship with. So, you know, it's these experiences outside of the game, which is great, right? But it's all these experiences that you have because um, normally you don't get it. And then even if you're talking about a smaller school locally, you know, how far are you traveling? You know, if you're in a smaller conference, then all of a sudden you 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 win games or you're, you're able to be bowl eligible. I mean, that's an exciting feeling. Because you talk to the teams that aren't bowl, bowl eligible, they're pissed. You know, especially if they've had a taste, or especially if they've gone to a, a bowl game the year before. It's 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 that 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 unspoken word in the back of your mind going, "We got to be bowl eligible. We, we have to be bowl eligible because we're going to get this great experience." That's from the player side. Now the coaches love it because now that's more practice time, right? That's more time they can go out there and, and, and get us, you know, ready for the next season. Yeah, we talk about that a lot, Chris. You're spot on. Like that, that student athlete experience. You know, we live in a day and age where everybody's chasing the money, but it, it's the experiences, it's the memories that you that 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 stick with you a lifetime. And look, even with the new playoff, twelve teams, right? There's only so many programs in the country that are have a legitimate chance of being in that group. There's 130 that play FBS football, right? If whether you're a student athlete that works works just as hard as every other one and and needs to be rewarded and and uh, for your achievement. Uh, or if you're a program trying to build and get to that playoff right. level, you can't go from not having any postseason experience, none of those practices, as you said, and get to the playoffs. So these games are still so meaningful. And uh, oh, absolutely, fans love watching them. It's one of the most popular times of year on the American sports calendar. 
absolutely Dick. And, and, and even me as a fan i mean as soon as the uh the games are released i, I put it on my calendar and so you know i'm watching everyone if i can't watch it uh i'll i'll, I'll put on the the DVR to watch it later. I mean, it's just because I know how these kids feel. And one other thing I wanted to comment on is you talk to every kid that's been to a bowl game. I guarantee you they don't remember all the games they played that senior year or that year, but I guarantee you they remember that bowl game. And, and I don't care what bowl it was. If you ask them about, hey, what was, what was it like playing the second game of the year? You're like, yeah, I don't remember that, but I went to – the Orange Bowl, or I went to the Fiesta Bowl, or, you know, it's these experiences that you guys create, that these bowls create, that are very memorable. And, and that's something that, that that is so important for, for, for the college experience for these student athletes. No doubt about it. But before we move on, um, you know, you mentioned that Miami game in 88, you, you kind of had a, a sequel to the Catholics versus convicts in 90. And you're not going to remember this, but at the conclusion of that game, this photo was taken. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and there's a skinny kid in the blue jacket standing standing next to you. I see. That looks might look vaguely familiar. Vaguely. That, oh that was God. right I had after hair that back Miami then. game wow. in 1990. Yeah, great, man. You had a lot of hair back then, too, man. Yeah, I, I know. We we were there because um, your, your head manager that year, Sean Wilkes, is yep. a really good friend of mine. And uh, we were visiting my friend there on the far right, Rob Burke. He lived in Dillon Hall, I think. So, so okay. I don't know how we got in the locker room, but we got to meet you then. And uh, little little did we know that uh, how many years later we'd be on a podcast together. That is a that that is crazy. That is crazy. Wow, well, that that's an awesome experience. That, that's see, and, and that's what's so funny fun about it is that you have a chance to kind of see those memorable moments. And you know, I'm sure you guys had a blast. You know, and, and oh, yeah. it, it's the idea. And I, so I can't even imagine like the fan side. And so if I could real quickly talk about, and I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but when I was inducted in, into the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame, I had a chance to experience kind of a, a, the bowl game not being a player. And Nick, let me tell you that experience, that, that that's when I really kind of understood what went into a bowl game because they, they they brought me and my and I, I brought my college roommate because I wanted because we, we we both we experienced every bowl game together and I wanted him to experience uh, th this is this as well. So he accompanied me to the Orange Bowl Hall of Fame event and we got there during the week. We did everything the players did and we we did the parades, we did everything else, but so much goes into bowl games. I had no idea. And especially the Orange Bowl, because it is a year-round event for them. I mean, they have like regattas. They have uh, fundraisers throughout the year. They have everything culminates at the end of the year for that game. And there's so many people that are involved. And I just, we just, we were stunned. We were like, what? We just thought it was a week. We're like, what all this it was just an amazing amazing experience yeah it, it is for sure and as you mentioned earlier you got 40 of those communities across the country that are just so proud to, to have these games every year you know and it's so and again i mean being on committees making sure these they actually happen um a lot of folks don't understand what goes into these games and at the end of the day think about it they don't know what team is going to be in their game in the beginning of the year but regardless of who it is, they're working hard throughout the whole year to make sure those two teams have a have a great experience. 
Last question for you. I want to I want you to talk a little bit about your your post football career. You you went back to Notre Dame to get your law degree. You were an athletic director for a few years. Tell us tell our listeners what you're doing now, nowadays. What takes up most of your time on a daily basis? Sure. So, um, and this kind of goes back to my experience in Chicago. Um, halfway through my last year, I was cut by the Bears, and a couple of days later, I signed with the Washington Redskins, and I could have had a chance to play maybe two more years, but I realized that Chicago, that football for me was in Chicago and I wasn't in Chicago anymore. So this is selfish on my part, but I retired because I didn't have that passion, that, that desire for me. Cause I felt like I was playing for, for the city of Chicago. I felt like I was playing for every fan that was a, a fan of the Chicago bears because I was a fan myself. So I had plans to go to law school, but after I got cut, I kind of fast-tracked it. And I, I, I think about how young and naive I was, I guess, because I look back at it now. I was 28 years old. I was single. I had retired at 28 from a profession. And instead of going back to, to Chicago to hang out and have a good time, hang out with my buddies and live an amazing single life, in Chicago, I decided to go to law school at Notre Dame. Like, who does that? So, needless to say, it was a very eye-opening experience for me. Um, after graduation, uh, worked at a law firm for a little bit, realized that it wasn't for me. Um, and around that time, the athletic director at Notre Dame at the time, um, uh, Kevin White. Kevin White, yep, yeah. Yep, exactly. Uh, talked to me about maybe coming back because I had a, a great story uh, playing for Notre Dame, having success, playing in the pros, having success, going to law school. Um, he, he thought I'd be a great example for the student athletes. However, it took him about a year to convince me that I should move back to South. Cause at first I was like, I'll do it. But I got to live in Chicago. And he was like, Nope, can't do that. I need you here. So I was like, wow. So it took him about eight months to a year to convince me that I could come back to Notre Dame and work. Cause being an adult in South Bend was a little different than being a student athlete or a student. So he convinced me to come back, had a great time there, and realized that I love being a college administrator. I, I was fascinated by um, the the assistance or the, the importance of, of what happens for a student athlete. So I mentioned before about how it takes a village to put a bowl game on. Well, it takes a village to put a team on the field. Any team, lacrosse, basketball, whatever sport it is, it takes a bunch of people supporting it in order for those student athletes to compete. So for me, that's what I loved about it. I love the logistics of getting um, the student athletes to games, uh, uh, training table, um, the, 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 the academic support, everything that goes around putting or fielding a team, whatever team that is. Uh, I, I, I was fascinated by that. So I wanted to kind of branch up on my own. So I wound up becoming an athletic director at a community college around the Chicago area, went back to Chicago. And then a couple of years after that became uh, the athletic director at a division one school called Chicago state uh, in Chicago, had a chance to, to, to spend some time there, had a lot of success there and really kind of understood the importance of the, uh, big schools playing the smaller schools because a lot of funding 
comes to the smaller schools that way. So that, that, that's kind of important as well. Um, and then it's also the experience for, for our student athletes going to places like Northwestern, Notre Dame, uh, University of Illinois, things like that. Um, and then um, there was a, a transition with the, with the new president. Um, so uh, spent some time with her and realized that we had two different opinions on athletics. Um, and so during that time, I was being recruited by a search firm. And the first phone call I got, I thought it was going to be for another AD job. But they're like, no, have you ever thought about being an executive recruiter? And I was like, well, no. Guys, said, hey, I think it'd be great at it. So we had a long conversation. Needless to say, I'm currently working for Randall Partners, which is an, an executive search firm. And I love it because it has nothing to do with uh, athletics. Like I'm not uh, looking for college uh, coaching jobs. I'm looking for CEOs, uh, VPs, um, and, and really kind of understanding that there's a whole world out there outside of athletics, which I had spent so much time in. Awesome. Uh, Chris, you got a great story. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you joining us. You're, uh, you, know, you and I don't uh, get a chance to catch up enough, but I want to make sure that the young football fans who are listening to this understands that when you watch – sports center college game day nowadays and you see these football pl college players that have personality and are great players and they're built up to be these mythical figures in 1988 89 90 there was no bigger <laughs> mythical college football figure out there that people watched and rooted for than chris zorich i i can assure <laughs> you that well thank you thank you very much and and and, and honestly for me and, and i, I want to jump back on the bowls for a second I mean, these experiences are, are are so amazing. So when I was an administrator at Notre Dame, um, they were talking about um, what, how we should treat our bowl representatives. And, and so there was a bowl committee. And so I'm the first one to raise my hand and say, I'll do it. And, you know, we would, I would get in the golf cart. I would drive the, the, the bowl representatives around because, and I would talk to them and let them know, like, these experiences that you're creating, and I'm sure you've talked to a lot of people, but you're talking to a guy who was a player and now is an administrator. And so we, we had these conversations of how important things like this were because these, and, and I can't stress it enough to you. I mean, obviously, you know, but a lot of folks out there, it's a really complicated process. And so when you have teams, because I remember like we would have teams come with like our or, uh, teams of bowl representatives, they come in like a, a yellow jacket or they come in a green jacket and orange. And so for us, when we would win, you know, the players would talk about, hey, you know, what color is going to show up this time? And depending on the color of the jacket that the bowl representative wore, it was like, oh, yeah, well, we're good. We know we're going to this game. And so I would share these experiences with these bowl reps and they, they would laugh and everything like that. But, you know, it, it was just kind of my way of giving back to the four games that I had a chance to participate in and experience and let the bowl reps know, like, like how important, like being able to kind of just create kind of a small experience or, you know, when, when, when kids go to their room the first time, there'd be a little thing, a little basket of like uh, snacks or something like that, you know, just saying, Hey, welcome uh, to the Orange Bowl, welcome to the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, things like that mean a lot. And that's why I'm saying, like, you talk to a kid to a T, every kid's going to remember their bowl experience. 
they're not going to remember, you know, some of the games during the season, but they definitely will remember their bowl experience. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. You're the best. Really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Sounds great, Nick. Thank you. Well, that'll do it for this week's podcast. Today's guests were brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. If you missed any of our past episodes, you can catch them on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd appreciate you to like, subscribe, and drop a five-star rating. And as always, you can follow all the Bowl Season news on our website, bowlseason.com, and on social media, at Bowl Season. Thanks for listening. <music>